you heard Steve talk earlier about a couple of things. You heard him talk about our vision for the next several years at N-Town, helping people we know discover the love of Jesus. And you heard him talk about the Lord's Prayer. Um, because we use the Lord's Prayer every week in our worship service. Some people think that's too much. Um, one ancient liturgy from uh, the fourth century had God's people praying the Lord's Prayer six times within one worship service. So, you know, we're not there yet. Um, <clears throat> what do those two things have to do with each other? What do the Lord's Prayer and um, this new vision have to do with one another. I want us to think about that, starting with the words of a, a scholar and a missionary named Kenneth Bailey, who served for 40 years in Arab-speaking Arabic speaking nations and uh, reflected a lot on Jesus and the New Testament through the lens of Middle Eastern culture. And as he studied the Lord's Prayer, one of the things that he calls our attention to is the fact that um, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're not just praying about the needs of Christians. We are praying about the needs of the entire world. So Kenneth Bailey has this to say. Oops, there we go. The faithful who pray this prayer. This is a prayer for Christian disciples, right? Jesus taught this prayer to his disciples. The faithful who pray this prayer are not an inward-looking circle, praying merely for their own needs. The Lord's Prayer, Jesus himself calls us to be concerned about the needs of other people. And that's connected to where we're going over the next several years as a church. We want to become, as a church, the kind of church that helps people we know discover the love of Jesus. It's not the kind of church where we say, well, we know Jesus and that's good enough. We don't care about the needs of other people, as uh, Dr. Bailey taught us. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're not looking inward. We're praying for the needs of the world. Jesus himself shows us how to make the connection practically. In Luke chapter 11, that's one of the two places in the New Testament where Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer. One is in Matthew chapter 6. The other is in Luke chapter 11. In Luke 11, immediately after he teaches the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells a short story that comments on, on how we're going to work this out in daily life. What's it going to look like to live this prayer out? And, and he, uses, he uses the metaphor of friendship. It's a story about three friends. It has a twist in it, a shocking twist, as we'll see. But the story is about the incredible impact that God can accomplish through people who have nothing. Let's hear the story that Jesus told. Suzanne's going to read it for us from Luke chapter 11. The scripture reading is from Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 8. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one on the inside says, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up 
and give you as much as you need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Is that the lamest excuse you ever heard or what? Man, I can't get out of bed and unlock my door because you know how locks are. Once they're locked once, they can't be undone. Like locks aren't designed to be easily undone and redone. Pretty lame, right? Every door that's made to be locked is made to be easily unlocked and then relocked again later. That's the whole point. Now, what about kids sleeping on the floor? If you've got young kids at home, that starts to sound kind of legitimate, right? Like, shh, don't wake them up. But y'all, these are Middle Eastern peasant kids in the first century. Every kid in every house sleeps on the floor of the house with mom and dad. They are used to noise all night long because you know how much distance there is between one house and another in a first century village? You go to Capernaum now, you can see the excavations, you see this real clearly. There's about as much distance as from me to that table, from one house to the other. These are kids who are used to hearing stuff all night long. These are kids who have animals who sleep in the house with them. Do you think those animals make noises at night? These are kids who are accustomed to sleeping through everything. So this starts to sound like a pretty lame excuse, doesn't it? You know... I already locked the door, and it can't be unlocked. You know, the kids are sleeping, and there's no way I want to wake them up. This is a pretty lame excuse, especially when we put it in the context of the expectation culturally in the Middle East today, also in the first century. Hospitality is like the primary virtue. If a stranger has come to our village, no matter what time of night, we got to spread the table for them. If somebody's come off the road, we got to feed them. And man, somebody who says, I can't unlock the door and I'm afraid my kids will never go back to sleep, they're not a friend at all. When is that ever going to happen? In, in fact, in English, the way we would start a story like this is, suppose you have a friend. But, but literally, if we were to translate that phrase very woodenly, it's who of you has a friend like this? And the point is, nobody has a friend like this. Jesus is telling a story about something that will never happen. Why does Jesus tell a story about something that never happened? And what does that have to do with God's calling for in town, this vision that he would make us a church where we learn more and more to help people we know discover the love of Jesus. Let's find out. Let's, uh, let's do it by the numbers. Let's start with the second petition. Um, there's a tradition of breaking down the Lord's Prayer into a series of requests that we're making, uh, addressing a series of needs, right? We, we need daily bread. We need uh, forgiveness when we treat other people wrong, when we forget God, when we walk away from Him, ignore Him. We need Him to forgive us. We need to extend forgiveness to other people. There are requests we make about, Lord, give us the courage to do the right thing when we're tempted to do the wrong thing. We need to be delivered from evil in all its forms, sorrow, suffering, spiritual darkness. But before we make those requests, we've made a couple of others. The first request, the first petition in the Lord's Prayer is, hallowed be your name, Lord May it happen on this planet that people would glorify your name, that they would honor you. 
And then the second request, the second petition is, your kingdom come. It's a teacher named John Smed who teaches a lot about the Lord's Prayer. And he may have done a prayer seminar here at some point in the past in town. At least I find a lot of his books and filing cabinets around. Um, and, and he's got this uh, saying about this petition, your kingdom come. He says, when we pray this prayer, we as Christians are giving our loyalty to Jesus. You can't pray for God's kingdom to come if you aren't a follower of Jesus. If you, ever, like, if, if you aren't signed up to be part of that kingdom as well, right? Uh, um, so we give our loyalty to Jesus. And then we're also asking to be used to lead other people to know Jesus too. Your kingdom come means people who don't know the king, we, we want them to know him. We want them to know his goodness, his life-giving grace and kindness. Jesus, we want to come into the Father's kingdom through you. Jesus, we want to see other people come into the Father's good reign and rule through you as well. And Jesus, we want to be used to help other people come into the kingdom of this loving Father. That's, that's kind of how we would connect the dots between Luke chapter 11, this story of the three friends, which is a commentary on how we're to live out the Lord's Prayer, and this vision of helping people we know to discover the love of Jesus. That vision came out of a retreat that we had as elders back in April of this year. We spent time praying beforehand. We gathered, and, and each of us had kind of prepared this um, little story of what would it look like in the year 2030 to be part of InTown. And the theme that kept coming up again and again and again was this one, that we want people who don't know the love of Jesus to know it. Hasn't that always been part of InTown's DNA? Well, yes, of course. We've always been praying for that. Every time we've prayed, your kingdom come, we've been praying this vision. It's always been a part of who we are. But what are we saying? We, we feel, the elders of the church feel like God is calling us to pursue that even more intentionally and with more boldness, with more, you heard the phrase, shameless audacity in our scripture reading. Um, so that by the year 2030, people would say, man, that's just a natural part of everything we do as a church. It's not a program. It's not a ministry. It's not a department. It's part of everything. So imagine the year 2030, walking around this pillar park to sit and watch your friend drink a cup of coffee because you're a tea guy yourself. And you ask that friend who's not a follower of Jesus, what do you know about that church around the corner? What do you know about Intel? And they say, mm, not much. I don't know that much about it. But I do know this. They believe that the love of Jesus is real. I don't know why they believe that, but they sure do. And, um, and they seem to think that real people who don't know much about Jesus, who aren't very Christian, they seem to think that real people like that, no matter how many twists and turns their life has taken, no matter who they are, that they can discover that real love of Jesus also. It's not my thing, but it sure seems to be their thing. And they seem to be really 
ready to help other people find that? What would it look like in practice for us to become that church? Well, this is where Jesus teaches us. He teaches us the Lord's Prayer in the first few verses of Luke 11. He teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. Hey, Jesus, we want to be loyal to your kingdom, but also we want to see other people come into the kingdom of this life-giving, gracious, loving Father. How do we live that out? Jesus says, let me tell you a story about how to live that out by the numbers. The second petition of the Lord's Prayer is your kingdom come. Let's look at the first two friends in Jesus' story. The first friend, I'm going to call him the out-of-town friend. Right? Jesus tells a story about a friend who shows up from a journey and arrives at midnight. Now, that friend is not responsible for bringing food with them. Jesus is... He's speaking to a culture where this is understood. It is okay for a friend to arrive unannounced in the middle of the night in a first century peasant village. There aren't hotels and motels on every corner. There is no expectation that you would have called ahead. There are no cell phones, right? It is okay to show up in the middle of the night. Why the middle of the night? Well, in many cultures, it's so stinking hot. You do your travel in the coolest part of the day. You don't travel in the heat of the sun. All of this is very ordinary and normal for this out-of-town friend to show up. This is an ordinary part of life. All of us know people who haven't discovered the love of Jesus. All of us know people we were praying about when we prayed the Lord's Prayer. All of us have friends like this. All of us have friends who might know Jesus as kind of an irrelevant religious legend, lost to time. We have friends. We know people who might know Jesus as a morally admirable man or a mysterious figure kind of hidden behind centuries of church grime. But they don't know him as someone who loves them. All of us know people like that. They're not strangers to us. Jesus is telling a story about friends. A friend of mine has arrived on this journey. He needs something he doesn't have. He needs food, and he didn't bring it with him. These aren't strangers to us. They are friends. They are people we know. Neighbors, classmates, teammates, people we work with, work out with, hang out with. They're at the pool. They're at the soccer game. They're at Einstein's at 8 o'clock every Sunday morning. Same guys, Frank and Matthew, show up. All of us know people, real people, who don't know the love of Jesus. They're real people. They're not projects. They're not targets. They're friends. That's the first kind of friend Jesus talks about. And then he talks about another kind of friend. There's the out-of-town friend that we know. There's the out-of-bread friend that we are. All of us know how it feels to be this friend. I know someone in need and I want to help, but I don't have what it takes. Right? Listen to how Jesus talks about this friend. He goes next door in the middle of the night 
And he says, lend me three loaves of bread because I got nothing. Now, we read the NIV translation, right? A friend of mine has come to me and I have no food to offer him. That fits the context perfectly because he's asking for bread. But again, literally, the sentence says, I have nothing. I got nothing. I know people who don't know Jesus. I want to help them, but I got nothing. I don't know how to do it. I, I, I don't know how to help. I don't have what it takes. I'm not a super Christian. I don't know all the answers. What if they ask a question and I don't know how to answer it? I'm going to feel stupid. This is because most of us have adopted a kind of superhero model of talking to other people about Jesus. The superhero, I am evangelism man. There's a meteor hurtling from outer space toward the earth. What can we do? Is Superman around? I sure hope so, because the rest of us got nothing. But thank goodness there's a superhero in this comic strip. He shows up, and the one right person in the one right moment who has the one right special superpower can do the one right thing to save the whole planet. By the end of the 30-minute episode, everything's done. And most of us have been taught to think like that about conversations about spiritual things with people we know. I am evangelism man. I am the one right man who can say the one right thing at the one right moment to the one right person so that boom, boom, 30 minutes in, instant Christian. No wonder we're afraid of that. <laughs> right? And do you see the grace of Jesus? Jesus is telling us a story where he says, I know you know, don't know how to do this. I know you got nothing. I know that you're, you still got bedhead. You still got cobwebs in your brain. You got no bread in the pantry. You got nothing to offer this friend. And yet, I'll tell you where to go to find it. I'll tell you who to ask. Uh, but Jesus, I don't know how to talk to people about Jesus without seeming weird or maybe offensive. I, I, I live in a culture where it doesn't feel safe to talk about religious topics in public. I, I'm afraid I'll fail. And Jesus says, I get it. I know you're afraid. Let me address your fear. I am telling a story in which you are not the hero. You don't have to be the hero. I already know you got nothing. Let me tell you more of the story to address another fear. And that's when we get to the next friend in the story, the in-the-bed friend. Now, this friend doesn't actually exist for all the reasons we said earlier. Jesus is intentionally telling a story in which everybody's like, that would never happen. He does that later, a couple of verses later. He says, if, if you were a father and your son asked you for a fish, would you give him a snake? No, Jesus, that would never happen. This is one of those stories. Nobody has a friend like this. That guy's not a friend. The purpose of this friend in the story is actually to lead us to 
another friend. A friend who's going to be with us and not leave us alone. I call him the fourth friend. He's the twist in the tale. This picture is a scene from a superhero movie called The Blue Beetle. I haven't seen it yet, but I've uh, been looking forward to it, partly because his story is a twist on the superhero genre. If you'll notice, Jaime, standing in the middle of the shot here, he's the scrawny kid who becomes a superhero because he gets bitten by a radioactive spider. Cool. No. He stays the scrawny kid, right? Because he gets put shot full of serum and he becomes this raging hulk. No. No, he remains a scrawny kid. Something else you see about this picture is interesting. And, and what I've read about the movie so far is that uh, it, it's telling a story about, about a family. And that there aren't many shots in this movie, I can't wait to see this for myself, where Jaime is on the screen by himself. Almost always someone who loves him is on the screen with him. It's a twist from the superhero model. God is saying, hey, when, when you have nothing, you won't be alone. I, I'm not going to leave you to, to face the needs of this world by yourself. I'm going to be, well, the fourth friend. The fourth friend who helps you help people you know discover the love of Jesus. On some level, Jesus knows that we are afraid that God is a distant father, that he's a cruel king, that he's a bad friend. And he'll leave us alone in the street at midnight, empty-handed, and he will say, I'm going to stay in bed because it's not my problem. And Jesus says, let me address that fear. And he tells this story as a way of saying, look, Read verse 8 again. I tell you, even though a friend like that won't get up and give you the bread because he's your friend, because of friendship, yet he will eventually do the right thing. Eventually, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Even a bad friend will eventually give you what you need, Jesus is saying. Because God is not a bad friend. And here's the shocking twist in the story that Jesus is telling. He says, you know what? When God calls you to meet a need in the life of someone else, and today we're focusing not on the need for daily bread, that would be legitimate, not on the need for forgiveness, that would be legitimate, but on the need for God's kingdom to come in such a way that people who don't yet know the love of Jesus would come to know it and that he would use us to help them. And Jesus says, when God calls you to meet that need, you will never be alone. He will never say, not my problem, because he has moved next door. God has moved into the neighborhood and he has said, I want to be right there with you when this moment comes. 
I'm not going to be the bad friend who leaves you alone at midnight with nothing. I will give you all that you need. And some of us have heard enough stories about Jesus to be skeptical. Some of us are skeptical Christians. Some of us are skeptical non-Christians. And we want to say, oh yeah, Jesus, prove it. Prove to me that God has moved into the neighborhood and that he's willing to stand by me when I'm in need. And he'll never say, not my problem. And Jesus would say, here's the proof. I'm here. Here's the proof that God moved into your neighborhood. I put on flesh and blood and I came here to be with you. And I came here to demonstrate love toward you and for you. And I now want to demonstrate that love through you so that other people can know it. I am the proof that God is so generous that he will give enough not just to help you when you have nothing, but to help you in such a way that you can help someone else. Every one of us knows people who don't know the love of Jesus. Every one of us feels unqualified to help them. Every one of us feels like we're alone in the middle of the street at midnight, bedhead and empty hands, and every one of us is afraid that when we call out to God, he will say, not my problem. And Jesus is the proof that God will never say that to us. He has made our problems his own. He has come into our world to take on our sorrows, to take away our sins, to be closer to us than the best friend we have ever had. What do we do now? Stand in the street in the middle of the night with empty hands and say, God, help us. Help us to love people we know. Even though we got nothing. Even though we don't know all the answers. Even though we're going to mess up a thousand times. Help us a thousand and one times. To show to other people the love that you have shown to us. Let's pray together. God, we pray for people we know who don't know the love of Jesus. Some of us can remember what that was like, and we still remember the joy and the excitement of discovering the love of Jesus for the very first time. We pray for other people to know that joy and excitement for the first time. We pray for those who have known the love of Jesus, but it's lost its luster. Help us to help them rediscover who he is. Make us ready for our role as helpers in this. And may the same love of Jesus that is our message 
be more to us than just a message. May it be our breath and our life. We pray in his name. Amen.